Exciting episode of Talking Movies with me. I'm Max. I'm Tim. We're back for another episode. Episode six. <laughs> now you can't count them all in one hand. Unless you're Christopher Guest in The Princess Bride. <laughs> in which case, hello, Christopher Guest. Uh, I'm honored that you're listening. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, big fan. And in character, no less. Yes. <laughs> So tonight we're continuing our theme of depressing movies where um, characters die. This, we still haven't watched a movie in which a main character hasn't died horribly. That's true. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's funny, Easy Rider um, managed to, after watching it, I feel like it does kind of fit in better than I thought um, with the other films in in the month in the, in the theme of well i mean the theme doesn't really have a name i don't really know what to call the theme but they all kind of they all kind of fit together because at least for these first three it's about like kind of people traveling across the country to sort of attain some form of the american dream which is more clearly sort of shown in easy rider but, I mean, in Deliverance, it's them kind of going out on their own adventure. Instead of, you know, on motorcycles down the highway, it's like down the river. Mm-hmm. And in Midnight Cowboy, it's like, you know, traveling to the big city to kind of like try to make it there. So it's interesting. They all kind of like, they do kind of fit together. And yeah, we watch The Deer Hunter, they'll be traveling to a whole different country. Yeah. In the name of, of America. So it is, it has this kind of strangely American thing going on. Yeah. There's American flags all over it, too. Which, it's it's weird to think that in that era, people wearing American flags, that could be seen to um, a lot of Americans as, like, blasphemous or, like, unpatriotic. Like, oh, you're wearing it as clothing. And it's like, now, Mm -hmm. people wear it to keep other people from thinking they're terrorists or something like that. Well, that is, like, when I was growing up in, um, in Boy Scouts... That was one of the things that they they t- they sort of teach you the rules about like you know what is proper the proper way to handle a flag and the right. proper way not to handle it, and like there are a lot of rules. I don't know if they're like specifically like sort of official rules of the government or just sort of unspoken rules. But the rules that I was taught were like you know you can never let the flag touch the ground. You can never use the flag as anything other than just as a flag, displaying it on a flagpole. Like you can't you know, cut it up and turn it into something else. You can't, like, you know, wear it and use it as clothing, basically. Right. Um, and you can't use it uh, in advertising. And um, 
Really? <laughs> yeah. Like that's supposed to be one of the things like you can't use the flag to like advertise your own. Boy Scouts sound thing. downright un-American. <laughs> not letting us use our flag to sell our trinkets. I know. Right. <laughs> then the one thing that they say is, is okay is like to burn the flag because. If it's damaged or soiled. That's the proper way to dispose yeah. of it is you burn it. But and that's the whole, like <laughs> the symbolism of burning a flag in protest is like, oh, well, America has done something to soil its image Therefore, if the flag is like a metaphor for America, then we should burn the flag. Yeah. So but it, not everybody <laughs> agrees with that. So, I, but it's funny how like that's it's because it has become switched. Like now, burning the flag is totally not okay with a lot of people. I mean, not that a lot of people were for it back then either. <laughs> but I mean, like it's like that that scene is totally unpatriotic and totally like blasphemous against yeah. the country or the image of the flag. Whereas you turn on the TV around like 4th of July or Veterans Day or Memorial Day or anything and like all the commercials are like, come on down to this dealership and we got sales and we got flags and they've got like the cheap looking crappy sort of like jump back flag animations and everything's all (laughs) flagged out. All flagged out. It's all flagged out. Liberty Mutual, American Express. Bank of America. Which was originally called the Bank of Italy. Really? Yep. When did they uh, immigrate to America? <laughs> I don't recall. I think it started in America, but it was started by Italian immigrants, and they called it the Bank of Italy. And then over time, they changed it. Watch downright on America. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, like there is a line in in Easy Rider where they're sitting in the uh, they go into the diner sitting around the table and there's like a group of police officers and sort of like the i don't know who else there's a guy wearing um a cat or a hat that said cat on it and then i noticed in the end credits he's referred to as the cat man i saw that and i was like who's the cat (laughs) yeah i was like who the hell was oh he had the caterpillar hat okay yeah but yeah and they make some sort of weird reference like you know look at them I don't know what the, what the word what the phrasing was, but they pointed out specifically that they had like that they were wearing like the red, white, and blue, and yeah. it was like they talked about them in like a derogatory kind of way because of that, which is just seems so backwards from from nowadays. You think that people like that, these sort of gung ho America, like yeah, would want it, would like. To see, like, ah, that's a fine young man wearing the American flag. He's proud to be an American. But, I mean, it's also strange to think that just having long hair back then, and not even really, like, long hair, it's just longish hair. It's not like they walked in with, like, hair down to their butt. Yeah, they're not Jared McDuff. Yeah, I shudder to think what they'd think of Jared McDuff. Yes. And really, like, Dennis Hopper was the only one who ha- who had, like, long hair. But even, like, the, the longer hair of Peter Fonda was, I think, too much for them. That's a, a really unsettling scene. Just because, like, I've been in a situation like that where, like, I know I'm somewhere I'm not wanted. And I'm trying to decide, like, should I leave? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it reminded me of the the scene in deliverance where um like leading up to the rape right 
where it's just like, uh, what do I do? How do I get out of this situation? Yeah, people who are just worse? totally outside of, in in the totally different environment than where they're hmm. used to or where they've come from, dealing with the wrong kind of people, I guess. The wrong kind of people. <laughs> Not Max's kind of people. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in Deliverance, they did rape <laughs> that guy. Yeah. And in this movie, they did uh, beat and kill Jack Nicholson, so... They did. I mean, I would say that they are the wrong kind of people. Eh, well, to each their own. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, could, I could see you on that side of the diner, you know? <laughs> Look at those guys. Those pansies with their long hair. What do you think? Fix them up with some black wenches. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy just to... It's it's hard to say like how indicative that really was like of the time you know I mean because it's it's easy to kind of say like you know my how the times have changed but I mean it is still a work of fiction and mm. it is a you know fictionalized portrayal of of at least you know their view of what was going on at the time I mean I'm sure that there were a lot of attitudes like that but and. It's odd to think that there are people from, like, small towns like that in the South that allowed themselves to, like, portray it that way. Because, like, they would get, like, local, like, non-actors and be like, hey, can you say this? And, like, what would you say? Kind of stuff. Like, and the people in the diner were just like, oh, yeah, we can, we'll come up with some stuff. That's how they, that's how they did that? Allegedly. Hmm. Yeah, that is even more unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> That's strange. Like, hey, uh, can all you guys sit here and like put, make fun of us? You know, we're gonna sit over here. And, like, yep, we can do that. And then they just like tear into them. <laughs> they're, they're, and you know, Dennis Hopper's like, well, you don't have to go too far. You know? <laughs> now look at the script. We get to kill you later? No, 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 no. That's just what we got somebody else for that. <laughs> uh, it's crazy how. Like I, I was reading some, you know, contemporary reviews of it, and uh, no matter whether they were they liked the movie or didn't like the movie, they all had positive things to say about Jack Nicholson. They were all blown away by Jack Nicholson, who'd been making films for over a decade at that point, and but you know nobody was really paying that much attention to him. Well, he was like smaller films with like Roger yeah. Corman, and and he'd been like he did like an episode of Andy Griffith and stuff like that, and um, and he'd already like written a couple films. Um, but like, they were just like, who is this Jack Nicholson guy? <laughs> and it, it's, it is that way. Like I, I enjoy the movie up to the point where he appears, but once he appears, it's like, it's the Jack Nicholson it, show. It really does kind of take on a different, <laughs> whole nother life. And just like, I don't know what he's the whole like frog swamp or whatever. Like he's doing like, and, yeah, he's doing all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> and it's just for like about 30 minutes he's mm -hmm. in the movie and then you know he goes away again i don't know just it's yeah. weird like he's just it's like the you know he'd been acting and then like it's just the birth of a superstar like right in front of you like you like there are some actors where you can watch their movies and you say oh that's the moment right there that's when they become like who they are mm. what did do you know what he followed it up with right after um, I don't know what was right. At, I know that Five Easy Pieces was the next year, which is like one of his best fucking performances ever. Um, 
and that's just like an amazing film. That was also a Raybert production. I think that was, I think that was right before they changed it to BBS. Um, but also in 1970, and this might have come before Five Easy Pieces, was um, a Vincent Minnelli musical starring Barbara Streisand called On a, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, which I was excited to watch because I was like, oh, it's, okay, so clearly Hollywood saw Easy Rider and was like, let's cash in on this Jack Nicholson guy. Let's put him in a big budget musical. And I was curious to see how that would turn out, but unfortunately he's only in like a handful of scenes and he just plays like Barbara Streisand's like bohemian neighbor hmm. as it's a horrible movie <laughs> anyway um and when was uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh 75 75 so in between that he did the last detail um a safe place he directed um drive he said uh, the King of Marvin Gardens, Carnal Knowledge, lots of stuff. A lot of stuff I haven't uh, haven't seen actually. But have I, you seen I mean, Five Easy Pieces? No. That's is, if you're gonna watch one. Well, it was kind of like I knew that it was kind of like a part of the Easy Rider sort of scene. Yep. I mean, there's crossover. Even the cast got. Karen Black and right. Tony Basil. So I was kind of waiting to see Easy Rider first before yeah. delving more into that world. Um, but I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, after seeing this, like, I'm very interested in seeing other stuff that, like, early Jack Nicholson, because he is just so wonderfully weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just really great. <laughs> and I, as far as stuff before Easy Rider... Like, I, I'd seen some, you know, I've seen The Little Shop of Horrors, and I'm sure most people, even if they haven't seen the movie, they've seen his part in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, The Terror and The Raven. Yeah, I've, um, I've seen all of those. But I actually haven't seen any of the, like, AIP biker and drug films that Easy Rider kind of grew out of. Like, I've never seen The Wild Angels or The Trip or Psych Out or Rebel Rousers or anything. Like These are all pre-Easy uh, yeah. Rider? And it was sort of like... And at the time, it was like, oh, this Easy Rider movie, it's just... It's, it's just another one in the, yeah, in the and sort then, of new trend of these biker movies. And then people watched it at Cannes, and it kind of just, like, blew everyone's mind. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it's interesting, I mean... It came out the same year, 1969, as uh, last week's movie, Midnight Cowboy. And both of them do have this kind of similar thing about them in the way that they are kind of edited in the sometimes kind of frantic, kind of crazy way. And in just the kind of reality that they're portraying, this kind of gritty, more gritty, down-to-earth kind of uh, taking a cold sort of hard look at an underbelly of of american society yeah yeah so it's nice to see both of those back to back in midnight cowboy a lot of the editing stuff seemed like like unnecessary like just like tricks like look what i can do like that's just the impression i got from it like it was it didn't like annoy me or anything it was i didn't you know i could have lived without it i don't know but in easy rider there's like a pattern to it it's kind of weird like when it will um like transitions between scenes there'll mm-hmm. be like four cuts it'll go like 
forward, then backward, then forward, then backward, then forward, then backward, then forward. Yeah, and it seems to tend to do that like when they're settling down for the night and when they're waking up. When we're cutting between days, it seems like mm-hmm. when like we're going from nighttime to or for, when we're going from day to night and then from night to day, it seemed like that's when those sort of flashing mm-hmm. back and forth cuts would happen. And it's, it's really um, effective when um, they're beaten. Mm. And Dennis Hopper wakes up screaming and like it's cutting back and forth between them being beaten and him being awake and seeing that like his friend has been beaten and his new friend is dead. Yeah, well it creates the kind of feeling of what it would be like if you suddenly just like were dead asleep, you know, and you're high and you're drunk and you are suddenly woken up by, you know, the feeling of being beaten and seeing these figures kind of just like beating your friends yeah and then they're suddenly just gone and you're left with you know the aftermath you don't really you don't see what happens you don't even you technically don't even know who did it i mean you kind of can guess that it is the you know somebody from that town probably sitting the the people from the diner who kind of just tracked them down it was the cat man it was the cat man (laughs) watch out boys and girls sleeping outside at night the cat man comes. Anyway, um, the, <laughs> you, have this, like, you have the look on your face. You're so proud of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> A wistful, smug face. I don't know. Um, anyway, and the uh, the editing in the um, the big like Mardi Gras terrible trip segment. Yeah, like, the, it's, the it's really, that's really effective. And like, Definitely, yeah. And uh, that's that's a little hard to watch. It's very upsetting. <laughs> like they're they're really getting into it, and they probably I don't know they probably were doing something while shooting that. Yeah, I mean, I look at like you know them smoking weed, and like I just have to assume that they actually are smoking weed and actually are yeah. like doing. It was it was probably a you know totally drug fueled. Mm-hmm. And I mean, why not? They were out, they were shooting out on the road away from the studio and like they, I mean, if anybody said anything, they could always say later, like, oh no, it was, we, we had like fake joints. Like how would they prove that it wasn't like, yeah. I I mean, the, the movie didn't have like a huge budget, like sort of riding on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's Columbia pictures. They're probably just the distributor. Yeah. Um, Bert Schneider and Bob Rafelson, which at the time was Raybert Productions, and then later they got Steve Blauner in, and then it became BBS for Bob, Bert, and Steve. Gotcha. Um, they had a distribution deal through Columbia because they had done the Monkees, the television show for Columbia. Um, which So the first movie they did was Head, the movie starring the Monkees. And then um, they did Easy Rider, and they gave Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda a bunch of money and sent them out with some cameras. And, and it worked out better than, you know, you'd think. Like, yeah. oh, here's a lot of money, Dennis Hopper. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's an investment that you have to assume <laughs> is just, you know, is just totally gone. Yeah. But uh, it paid off for them. Yeah. Although, I mean, it worked well for this film and, like, the influence this film had on film in general. But as far as, like, Dennis Hopper's directorial career, 
and like I don't know like he didn't really he did other movies of course his next movie was called The Last Movie which was a horrible flop um I've never watched it I've heard people say that it's really good but people at the time weren't ready for it I guess I don't know that's that's often you're not ready for this yeah it's like if a movie bombs and there's always someone who's like no no people just aren't ready for it Mm. but people whose opinion I value have said that um, and I'm curious to seek it out. It's I can't find it anywhere. Um, Did he pursue any other directing, directorial jobs after that? Um, yeah, I haven't seen any of his other films though. Um, and in the '80s, I think he did a couple like more like mainstream films to prove that he could sort of. Hmm. I mean, of course, I've seen other films he's acted in. Right. Um, and it's weird to think that he, in, like, the same year he directed Easy Rider, he was in uh, True Grit. That's right. <laughs> I forgot that he has a small part in that. Yeah. And, and like, it's, I don't know, like a, you know, big John Wayne West. Well, we mentioned last week um, yeah, that the, John Wayne won his yeah. Oscar for that. And John Wayne um, hated Dennis Hopper. Uh, I can imagine them not getting along. Yeah, and the director of True Grit, uh, Henry Hathaway, hated Dennis Hopper also. He'd worked with him before, I think, on The Sons of Katie Elder um, a few years before. He also hated Dennis Hopper. And uh, I guess um, Dennis Hopper was... um, I really wish I could remember where I just recently read this. Ah, But apparently Dennis Hopper was like John Wayne's pet liberal. Like, he was the only so-called hippie that John Wayne really, like, had any contact with. Because, mm. um, you know, a big Hollywood star for several decades, kind of isolated from, you know, kids. And um, and already sort of conservative and, yeah. you know, traditional. So, like, anytime anything would happen, any politician would do anything, like, with a liberal bent to it, or any anytime anything was going wrong with the Vietnam War, he'd just, like, storm in and be like, Where's Hopper? I need to yell at Hopper. <laughs> and Dennis Hopper would hide. Because <laughs> John Wayne was a big guy. So. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being on yeah. the other end of his strange <laughs> liberal rants. Yeah. But, like, uh, De- Dennis Hopper was, I mean, like, he started out, he was in Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean, and mm-hmm. he, he hung out with James Dean socially, and, like, it really affected him when he died. Um, and he was part of that whole, like, you know, in the 50s, he was part of the beatnik scene, and then, like, in the 60s, he tried to get involved in, like, you know, the hippie scene. Um, and he was always... Whatever was considered, like, anti-establishment, that's where he was. And it's also interesting, Dennis Hopper having this sort of John Wayne connection, because his the co-star of Easy Rider is Peter Fonda, yep. who, of course, is the son of Henry Fonda, who is also a big Western star in his own right, um, and acted alongside John Wayne. And he was in a bunch of John Ford movies, as was John Wayne. So it really does like feel like, you know, this is this new generation, like literally like the, the next generation after these sort of people who came to define the sort of cinematic image of what America was the next generation kind of like turning it around and redefining it. And it is, a, it's a spin on 
the Western. And I mean, like there's the, the really early scene where in the foreground you see, um, them like making shoes for the horses and in the background you see them like fixing the tire Working on, on the, the motorcycle, motorcycle and it's right. like oh that's, that's that's their horse that's mm-hmm. and uh except instead of like heading west they're heading east mm. and, um, i should say that like i we literally we watched it the movie together um literally i don't know an hour ago when we finished it so the movie is still very fresh in my mind and um it's the first time I've seen it. So there's a lot of things that I uh, didn't really, you know, catch or think about the first time through. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and it, the, the movie, it, it's sort of, like, deceivingly simple because it feels like just, you know, they just had, a, like, a camera. There was probably just, like... It feels like it's just them and, like, one camera guy who's just kind of going around... <laughs> Like shooting them do kind of stuff. Laszlo Kovacs. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it just kind of feels like it was all kind of done, like they were making it up as they went along. But I mean, there is a lot that really, you know, whether it was intended or not, like is profound in that way. Yeah. And I mean, they, they definitely did have a script. And, like, it's, I think the reason why it's credited to Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, and Terry Southern mm-hmm. is because there most likely was a lot of Im- improvisation, right. like, on the way. But Terry Southern wrote the original script, and he's the one, he wrote um, Candy and uh, Dr. Strangelove. Oh. And, um, so. Yeah. How about that soundtrack? That's a good, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good soundtrack. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great. Um, if you wanna be a bird, <laughs> <laughs> keep going. No, I'm, I'm listening. Don't bogart that joint, my friend. <laughs> was um <laughs> was the song "Born to Be Wild"? Was that written for this movie? No. No. Okay. A lot of the music wasn't written for the movie. Right. They just. But it seems like much. that song because it has like such that uh identification with like bikers and yeah motorcycles and you know driving on it and on, i mean well literally the song is about you know get your motor running head on the highway but uh and when the way it's used like it in like very early in the film it just like kicks in and mm-hmm. it's like yeah i don't know it's and it's it's kind of a shame like the the song now is just like it feels so cliche like Though it's used in advertising, like, the flag. It's just, like, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, it doesn't... It, it has lost its meaning, yeah. yeah. Um, but I imagine that, like, this movie probably had a big hand in sort of catapulting that song. Or was it already, like, a huge hit? I don't know if it was a huge hit. I mean, it was... I guess popular. I mean... Yeah. I don't know if that was, like, their hit or if Magic Carpet Ride made might have been their bigger hit i don't know people knew it who who was the band who was uh, the... steppenwolf steppenwolf right okay in the 70s my father saw steppenwolf live and uh, john k the lead singer was um like standing out near the uh, the restrooms at whatever venue it was and like just meeting people signing autographs shaking people's hands and my dad really needed to use the bathroom <laughs> 
And he didn't realize that it was John Kay. He just thought there's some guy standing in my way to get to the bathroom. So he like tried to get around him, and John Kay kept trying to shake his hand, just thinking, oh, here's a fan, and he just seems confused. So finally, my dad just like grabbed his hand and like shook it and just like pulled him out of the way and ran into the bathroom. That's my Steppenwolf story from that's, my father. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. One time, I um, uh, intimidated the lead singer of Saves the Day at a concert, and I didn't know it was the lead singer of Saves the Day. He bumped into my, he was riding like a little kid bicycle and he bumped into my ankle and I looked at him, like I gave him like a, a pissed off look, like what the hell are you doing bumping into my ankle? And he was like, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> that was, that's, that's what we call the intimidation. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea. Somebody told me later, I had no idea it was, it was him. So, yeah, we're a little off topic now. <laughs> I'm just telling stories about going to concerts. <laughs> One time I went to see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the Civic Center. <laughs> it was wild. It was. The Coming Out of Our Shells tour. You saw that? I did. I did. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, only, uh, I only ever watched the, uh, the videotape. Well, you would have only been like, what, five or six when that happened? Or? What, when, when did that happen? I feel like it was 90. Or maybe 91. I, I'm not sure. I guess... Now that that's like, guess, oh, yeah, you're too I, I young been... to go to... <laughs> Get out of here, little kid. You're too young for the Ninja Turtles. I remember getting really excited when um, they did Splinter's song. It was like a ballad. Like, uh, it's like, Skipping Stones. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Luke and I had um, <laughs> the cassette tape of the the soundtrack to it. But a friend of ours also had like the video of like you know the uh, like a recording that they had done. So I saw that, but I mostly know it from the uh, from the soundtrack. My sister and I had the cassette tape, but we didn't buy it until we were in our twenties. Um, but we saw the concert, and then like you know like many years later, we found the cassette somewhere. Some good classics on there. You know, like, um, yeah, we're coming out of our shells. All I remember is that and skipping stones, <laughs> and um, walk straight. Don't need to mutate. <laughs> mutate. Don't need to if you're walking straight. Which is a very strange song because it literally one of the lyrics literally is "be straight." <laughs> it literally says you you got to be be straight. Maybe it was an anti-drug song. Maybe they meant straight like that. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> Um, Strange song to sing for four guys living in the sewer. <laughs> with with an elderly rat. <laughs> older, yeah. The the who the puppeteer who played that rat later was accused of uh, pedophilia. That's over, right, because yeah. he was the. Um, He's Kevin Clash. Kevin Clash, who played Elmo. Yeah. yeah. He was the puppeteer <laughs> of Splinter. Yeah. So um, I read this article on um, brightlightsfilm.com the Bright Lights Film Journal, which is one of my favorite websites. And it was about Easy Rider, which is the movie we were talking about a little while ago. <laughs> and um, it was saying how... It was comparing the structure of the film to uh, Dante's Inferno. And I'm not... I've read Inferno, but I'm not that familiar with it. I don't know if you are or if you've read it. Um, I've read it in... Uh pieces i haven't read it all the way through um but i know the general kind of scenario well like I, this is the first time i've seen the film since i read that article 
like I read it. I, I'm not sure what they might have been up like a year ago, and I, I glanced at it earlier today before I watched it again, um, just to refresh my memory. And like I didn't get, I didn't pick up on a lot of stuff because I'm not that familiar with the Inferno, and um, but some of the imagery in the film, like I definitely like at the at the beginning. After they make their deal and they take off, there's they go through these like huge like um, pillars, these like big stone pillars, and I guess that's something like when Dante enters hell and meets Virgil. Um, I guess there's a description similar to that, and in the um, <clears throat> the early uh, Italian version um, or the Italian film version, I think it was. In the article, it's in 1911. For some reason, I think it's 1909, but I, I don't... <laughs> that doesn't matter. Um, they, I guess, like, some of the imagery in that film based on uh, Inferno, like, shows up in Easy Rider. And, um... But, like, the article talks about how, like, it does have that... The film does have that, like, improvisatory feel. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, like, there are parts that it, uh, the guy writing the article, he definitely felt like were planned, like certain images, because they kind of match up with things in uh, both the Inferno, like the epic poem, and also the, the film. And also comparisons to things like Faust, because like in Inferno, Dante is visiting hell, and he is being, he has a tour guide, Virgil. Right. Um, and in Easy Rider, it's saying like they do... When they sell the coke to Phil Spector in the opening scene, it's like a deal with the devil. It's like a Faustian thing. And they just go to hell and they never come back out. Mm. And they do die like a fiery death at the end. Mm -hmm. But it's... um, Yeah, that's interesting. I mean... It's an intriguing article and like people should look... People should just all go to brightlightsfilm.com anyway. And but just like if you do, you know, search Easy Rider and it... As of today, it was the first article that popped up when I searched for it. Because so. it is kind of hard to, for me anyway, to imagine that a lot of that was specifically planned out. It could be coincidence also. But it still is, uh, you know, in, intriguing and interesting. And like the, um, I get this when they pick up the hitchhiker, when he's standing with his thumb out in the traditional hitchhiker pose, I guess there's like, they compared it to both the first shot of Virgil in the Italian silent film, as well as, like, uh, paintings based on the Inferno of, like, Virgil. Like, he doesn't have his thumb out, because that'd be weird, but like, he's, like, <laughs> holding his hand in a certain way, and, like, he has a certain stance to And him, here but... we see Virgil hitchhiking his way to hell. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. And there are, like... I don't know, there's... Uh, I'm not a very... Uh, literate person no not literate i'm literate i'm not a very literary minded person read a lot of books too yeah but not (laughs) don't be so hard on yourself i don't read the right books um but there do seem to be like a lot of uh references in the film to like uh literature and myth and things uh especially when they're in um house of the blue lights in new orleans and he's like reading quotations on the wall and well, it's almost like a cathedral or sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's also something about blue lights in the Inferno, also, which I don't, I don't recall what that was. But hmm. anyway, yeah, I don't know. 
off the top of my head what that would be. Yeah, this would all be more profound if I could actually remember what I read in that article. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I don't know, it's a cool article. People should read it. I, I really liked the moment when, I think it's when he, um, they're in the blue lights, uh, when it looks like uh, Wyatt, uh, Peter Fonda's character, he kind of almost has like a vision where he sees this sort of fiery explosion from overhead. Yeah. And it's only like, you know, it's quick, it's like about a second long, maybe less. Um, but you're left kind of, but the, in the way that the scene is already, like we're seeing a lot of different things and we don't exactly know, like, are they in a church or are they in that whorehouse? Like where exactly are they? You know, yeah. is it the same location? Like you're not exactly like sure anyway. And then there's just that in the middle. Um, but then, you know, seeing it at the end of his death, like it's, uh, I think that helps to kind of lend a little bit of credence to the idea that like they have kind of been doomed the entire time. What do you think he meant by we blew it? I don't know. I was going to ask you the same thing. Yeah, that's one of those things people talk about. It's like, we blew it. Like, Well, I mean, the, through the whole thing, like he's not really all that enthusiastic no. um, about the trip, about anything. Um, we don't know what exactly he was like before the whole drug deal happened, but it could be that he just feels... Like he's let down by everything around him. Like Mm -hmm. it's not what he imagined it to be. Or he just kind of feels like guilty. Like I kind of felt that way towards the end after Jack Nicholson is killed. Like he feels like guilty about that. Yeah, because he wouldn't have been there with them if they hadn't met in the jail. And and then they they use his card for the... And they use his card and... You know, um, um, uh, what's Dennis Hopper's character? Is it Billy? Billy. Billy. He's, you know, kind of moved on past things. Like, he would have wanted us to use it, man, you know. Um, Didn't affect him in the same kind of way. Um, I think it kind of just means, like, you know, they didn't find what they were looking for. Wasn't that the the poster, the tagline on the poster? Like, a man went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere? I don't know. Is that on the poster? I think that's the poster. Oh. That's the poster for something. I think it's Easy Rider. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I like how um, the way they, they get the card for the the whorehouse um, from George. And then they have the acid from when they were in the commune. And the guy's like, oh, take this and you know split it up four ways and mm-hmm. use it later. <clears throat> and then like... Like they have like sort of like collected these things on their journey, and then when they finally use them, it's just it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird. Um, what do you know, Karen Black from? Um, I mean, I know Karen Black from uh, like Rob Zombie's used her in more modern things. Like she's in um, House of a Thousand Corpses. Right. Well, what do you know, Tony Basil from? The other, uh, Mary is what her name is in the movie. I don't know. Should I know her? From you, you know her from something. She looked, and she looked I never, 
like it's I, when I heard that she was before I saw Easy Rider, like I kind of like knew some people in it, and I was like Tony Basil. That can't be the same Tony Basil. Like a decade later, she's the one who did. Oh Mickey, you're so fine. You're so funny. Blow my mind, hey, Mickey. Hey Mickey. No That's, shit. Yeah. The oh yeah, she's in the cheerleading costume yes. in the music video. Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And she was also she danced with Davy Jones in Daddy's song in the movie Head. And she was also in five, she was a hitchhiker in Five Easy Pieces. So it's weird. According to IMDb, Karen Black was also in Five Easy Pieces. Yes. Uh, like Tony Basil is mostly known for the her Mickey song. I think I don't. I think it's called Mickey. Um, and then Karen Black is usually cast as sort of like these oddball characters, uh, and like she was a good actress, but it just she seemed just like oh she's so quirky, haha. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both of them are very impressive in like the small amount of screen time they have in Easy Rider like you they're they're having a bad trip <laughs> I mean they and definitely and they like, leave an impression like you know you kind of they're not just like background kind of like oh those are just like the girls like just a couple they, of they kind of stand out yeah I mean and I uh, maybe it's because I'm from, you know I recognize Karen Black but hmm. um, yeah I mean they do a good job Peter Fonda had sex with both of them. At the same time? He was caught in bed with both of them. There were, uh, somebody was arguing them. I'm assuming Dennis Hopper because he was always arguing with Peter Fonda. I don't know if they ever made up, but I know that after they finished making Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda were not on good terms. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was a rough production for the two of them. Partly because of his. Affair. Well, I think it was mostly because, like, the credits are kind of like Peter Fonda is the producer, Dennis Hopper is the director. They are both credited as writers, and they're both acting in it. And I just think like it's, it comes down to like, well, I'm the writer and producer. I'm the writer and director. You're the star. I'm the supporting guy. Like, and just like. Someone has to be in control, right? Like, uh, like it, it's it's lovely to think of like some sort of like communal filmmaking, wherever it's a perfect democracy, but it can't be that way because somebody has to make decisions. And like, Dennis yeah. Hopper was often accused of being unreasonable, and when people would complain, like um, Peter Fonda, like recorded him going on a rant at some of the lighting people, like yelling at them, like. I told you to put this light over here. Why wasn't it over there? Like, I needed this here. And Peter Fonda played, um, I don't know, I think it was Bob Rafelson and Burt Schneider. Maybe just Burt Schneider. I'm not sure. Uh, I played them the <clears throat> the tape of him, like, ranting. And he was like, isn't he crazy? You need to, he can't do this. He can't be in charge anymore. And, like, the producers were just like, or the, not the, well, Peter Fonda was a producer, but, you know, the mm-hmm. heads of the company were like, well, he does sound really upset and crazy, but we did hire him to be the director, and why wasn't the stuff he asked for where it was supposed to be? Like, think about why he's getting mad. And, like, it was it's hard to get, like... Because it was, like, I mean, a bunch of friends as, like, on a road trip. as directors go, I mean, newsflash, like, a lot of directors do get mad. Like, yeah. <laughs> probably way more mad than, than that. I mean, I can't imagine, like, being in a production where Dennis Hopper is in charge. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I can imagine that getting kind of crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it ha- I mean, that's, it, it happens. I mean, especially if there's a lot of pressure to get a lot of stuff done. And like, I mean, you know, Dennis Hopper wanted to make the best film he could to make a name for himself. He kind of been struggling under the radar for most of his career at that point. Mm-hmm. Like he started out in a big film like uh, Rebel Out of Cause, but it was a small role. Like I'm pretty sure nobody watching that movie in the 50s was like, "Oh, who's that guy? Oh, that's Dennis Hopper." No, everybody was watching James Dean yeah. and Hollywood. <laughs> and um, he'd been like the lead before. He was the lead in. Uh, have you seen Night Tide? It's a Curtis Harrington film. It's kind of a horror film. It's a guy falls in love with a woman who may or may not be a mermaid. No, I have not. <laughs> it's real. It's re- it's a really interesting kind of eerie film, uh, like sixty one or sixty two. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this was like you know Dennis Hopper's big chance to like really like make it, and uh, so yeah, he was under a lot of pressure. Yeah, and I mean, also when you're out there, I mean, and they're filming across the country. Yeah in you know a lot of remote locations and stuff that also ups the stress level um, not that we really need to defend dennis hopper's <laughs> actions <laughs> on set but uh no. they were traveling eastward across the southern united states while coppola was traveling westward in the northern united states filming the rain people I've never seen The Rain People. Neither have I. Hmm. But it's out there, waiting to be watched. Was um, The Rain People... Was that a Corman? No. Um, I'm not sure what that was. That might have... I could be mistaken. I feel like it might have been his first attempt at doing a zoetrope. Okay. Like American Zoetrope Productions, whatever it's called. Um, His production company. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was first or if THX was the first one he did as that. But no, when the Rain People flopped, that's why he took the job as a writer on Patton, which won him his first Oscar. And then he used that to have more clout to do, to be able to produce THX I had and direct no Godfather. idea that he won an Oscar for Patton. Yeah. Or that he had anything to do with Patton. He was one of several writers on it, but I think he was one of maybe two who actually got credited because, you know, when studio, studio screenplays, there's a lot of people working on it, only a couple get credited. Often, yeah. So. That was, is crazy. I had no idea that he had anything to do with that movie. Yeah. Small world. <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah. is, it is interesting. I mean, yeah. once you kind of put... Once you put a lot of things into context... Yeah. It it becomes interesting. Like, yeah, you do realize like how small of a community a lot of that was. I mean, and this was like the first. Like everybody always talks about New Hollywood as if it was like, oh, here's this group of people, but it's really split up into several groups. And like, like the Easy Rider group, I guess, is like they were like maybe a little older than some of the ones who came later. Like they were from the industry. They were, like, from within Hollywood. I mean, like, you know, Peter Fonda, son of mm-hmm. Henry, brother of Jane. And, um, and Dennis Hopper had been making movies since the 50s. And, um, like, uh, Coppola had already 
done a um, a musical for Warner Brothers, which is how he met George Lucas. And like it's just, and then there's the next group, you know, like that starts out in the early seventies, like uh, Scorsese and uh, John Milius and all the people hanging out on Nicholas Beach that I think you talked about a few weeks ago. I feel like that came up. In, yeah, no. It, or it might have just been after we stopped recording. No, that's when we were when we um, we talked about that during Carrie. Okay. But they, all, I mean, like they all. Everybody kind of, it just seems like everybody kind of knew each other. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's weird to think of that. Era. But like the term new Hollywood is kind of confusing because like different people have used it in different ways. And lately it's like at the time it was sort of used like, oh, there's like the French new wave, the Czech new wave, the British new wave in the sixties are all these new waves and the American new wave. And then they just started calling it new Hollywood but then people have also used it to say like, oh, that le- that sort of like Hollywood renaissance in the 60s and 70s led to the new Hollywood, which is Hollywood today. Like the new Hollywood really starts with like when The Exorcist, The Godfather and Jaws were released. They got wide releases instead of like town to town and then like, you know, like those filmmakers led to the blockbuster mentality that just... Yeah, I mean, I, I would kind of like if you really got to pin it down... Like, I would say that Jaws kind of being the first blockbuster, because mm. that's the model that is has taken over the industry today. Yeah. The idea that a movie has to be this, like... Event. Yeah, the event picture, like the, the huge blockbuster movie that's going to make, like, $100 million. But even that, like, is... That's like nothing. <laughs> when movies are making like, you know, a billion dollars, it's it's crazy. The budgets just get higher and higher and the profits need to be higher and higher. It's like you I you know, I wish that like there were more smaller budget movies. And there are tons of them out there, but it'd be nice to think that they would get better distribution. Yeah, that's what it comes like, down to yeah. is that just like you know, a movie like Easy Rider, like could not get any kind of real distribution yeah. if it came out nowadays. It's like you hear about movies that like could be comparable to that and like you'll read about them in magazines, read about them online and then they don't you don't see them in theaters. You get it on DVD or watch it on Netflix or something. They're yeah. not going to play at a theater. The the theaters are reserved for the blockbusters. Yeah. <laughs> or at least in this area where we live where it's literally just you know, we have Regal. And now I mean there's the new there's the Bowtie Cinema, which has come in to Saratoga and Wilton. Which seems like basically the same thing, except they show older movies in the morning or something. With but mimo- at least with it mimosas. is nice to have a little bit more of an option and a little bit yeah. more of competition there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like, it, And it's really sad to, that when you hear about, like, you know, oh, Easy Rider became a huge hit and, like, influenced a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I just, you cannot imagine that movie coming out today and having any kind of real impact yeah because nobody would see it <laughs> it's hard to think about like a movie that could come out that would have a huge impact because like, it seems now like well everything has kind of been done 
like there are maybe there's things that haven't been done, but whatever those things are, it would just be like variations on a theme of like things that have already been done. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, that's us in the present looking towards the future. And I've, then like years from now, there might be something and we'll look back and be like, well, why didn't we know that was coming? But right. We I'm, I'm, like, you got to think that like in the 50s or in like the in that time, like people probably felt that same way or like you especially like well, towards the end of like the 40s or like early 50s like it must have felt like you know uh, movies have you know everything's kind of been done well and, I mean, they were all aware of the production code though because like before 1934 there were a lot of things you could do in movies that you couldn't do for, right that's true for over 30 years until the late 60s mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could do them, but then you. So there was all this sort of this pool of untapped ground that everyone knew was like, you know, oh, you can't show any of that. So by the time that those things did come around, it was like, oh, this is breaking ground because it they just weren't allowed to do it before. Yeah, and then like, I mean, there there will always be uh, technological innovation. Like uh, Mm -hmm. sitting here in 2013, like 10 years from now, God knows what movies will be like, what form they will take. Right, because things are going so rapidly now um but as far as just like content and what films are about i really don't know like where it could go yeah it's really it's 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 crazy i mean everything that comes out all has a very similar kind of feeling to it it's it's just insane to me like and i'm like i'm a comic book fan yeah but i mean the amount of like the superhero sort of comic book adaptation craze that's going on it's just insane that it's lasted as long as it has people keep buying tickets it just keeps on keeps on going and it's been going since like you know 2000 with when x-men came out or I mean, I guess was you that could say Spider-Man I guess you could or? say Blade um, in nineteen eighty nine, but uh, was Blade like a huge like blockbuster though? It was. It wasn't like a huge blockbuster, but it was a success. It was like, mm-hmm. um, I think that was a pretty modest budget, especially by today's standards, and it performed like really well. Um, but then X Men came out, and that uh, kicked off the uh, the whole superhero craze. Because that was in 2000, and then Spider-Man came out in 2002, I think. All I know is after September 11th, because they had to go in and take out the towers. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a big controversy over whether they should or something. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was in 2002. Um, and since then, like, it was just like, well, what are they going to do next? And uh, it's come to really influence, like, every other movie that comes out. It has this kind of, like... I mean, we're, you know, it, it is not just like, you know, adapting comic books, but it is like the sort of idea that people talk about all the time of like, there, there are no original stories anymore. Yeah. Everything is either an adaptation or a sequel remake. or a remake. Or, that, if it's know. not based on a comic book, it's based on a ride at Disney World. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's based, it's all based on something. And the sad They made a movie like, out of Battleship. Yeah, for God's sake. <laughs> Like I mean, and you know I I like the movie Clue, but Battleship, <laughs> <sighs> yeah, just it, it's insane. And, and like I mean I guess I'm being like I don't know, 
you've seen a lot of these movies because like you like i'm not saying you like all the comic book movies but i mean i'm a comic book fan so i mean i've seen like you know a lot of the i've only like as far as like the comic book movies movies of the past uh, of this century like i've seen uh spider-man 2 and the amazing spider-man those might be the only ones i've seen i'm not sure and uh i thought spider-man 2 was very enjoyable uh i hated the amazing spider-man um i thought it was uh excrement wow Uh, (laughs) i mean to me like the amazing spider-man wasn't that um interesting or enjoyable because it literally like for the first half of the movie which is a long time because it's a the movie's too long anyway. It was like it literally just rehashes like nine hours or everything that happens in the first Spider-Man movie, the the original two thousand yeah two Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Well, like, the the turnover is so quick now. There are movies that are remakes of movies that like just came out a few years ago, yeah. and then and every time like there's a new superhero movie, even if that superhero has been in a movie before, they need to do the origin story again. God mm-hmm. forbid there be a superhero movie. Where it's just like, here's this superhero being a superhero. And they may, they may be out there. I, I can't think of anything um, on my head now. I hope they are, because I'm sick of origin stories. And so many of them, because the origins themselves like go way back mythologically to like Moses and Jesus and stuff like that, like where like, oh, a baby shows up and here it's well, like, I well, mean, Superman that, at least. Yeah, and I mean, well, like, that's the thing that was really annoying with The Amazing Spider-Man is that, like, we did not need to see the origin of Spider-Man because we literally just saw it, like, less than 10 years ago. And it didn't or, even... Or, like, and, 10 years ago. And can you explain to me... Okay, so in... in now, I didn't see um, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. but uh, in the comics, um, the his suit, the Spider-Man suit... Yes. Is based on when he was a wrestler. Yes. Um, and like it's sort of like an altered version of his, the uniform he wore while wrestling. Yeah. Um, now, in The Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. he sees a poster on, on the wall for like a, a wrestler. And it's like a, it, he's like, oh, I'll make a costume based on that poster I just saw. So how come when he goes out there and he's like fighting crime and stuff, people aren't like, oh my God, that wrestler from a few years ago is out here <laughs> fighting crime and doing stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, I thought uh, there is the scene in, in the amazing Spider-Man where he like falls down into the ring and then he yeah. stands up and he looks and sees the poster and it kind of looks like the mask. It's like a luchador kind of mask, which yeah. kind of mirrors like the Spider-Man's eyes. But I thought it was like he's, when he's making his costume, there's like a shot of him and he sees like an Olympic, like speed skater outfit or like luge. Like it was more so in in that movie, it was more so based on that, like the kind of like uh, almost spandex. Um, but he saw, but the mask was the same, right? But the like mask the... was like yeah, similar to that. I mean, I don't know. In in the Sam Raimi one, he actually is a wrestler. That's he actually does the wrestling thing first. As well, he should be as. And he fights against Macho Man Randy Savage, playing himself. Um, no, uh, oh. a guy named uh, Bonesaw, but he like, he's pretty, he plays basically playing himself. He's like, Bonesaw's ready. And he does, you know, he, you know does his thing. Oh, wait. So Randy Savage is playing, yeah, playing Bones- a character. Oh, I thought Bonesaw, you were saying yeah. like some actor named Bonesaw played Randy Savage. <laughs> yeah. No, they got some guy named Bonesaw to do a really bad Randy, uh, Randy Savage. Snap into a slip. And Bruce Campbell is the referee. Yeah, with Spider-Man 2, he's somebody else. Or the right? announcer, I think. He, yeah, he plays a different character in every one of the uh, Spider-Man movies. 
can't hold down a job. Maybe it's the same character. He just keeps. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, the sort of fan joke that's been running. Or it's like when um, when Garfield and Odie and John go to Hawaii, and the same guy that runs the hotel runs the used car lot, and he runs something else. And... Yeah. <laughs> It's ever, exactly like did that. Did you ever watch that? <laughs> it was one of the TV specials in the 80s. Um, uh, I've seen some of that stuff, yeah. I really like the Christmas special. Yeah, and the Halloween special. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really... Uh, it is a shame to think... Just to see uh, the state of the industry. Like, I read an interview with Danny Boyle. And he was talking about how he just misses, like, adult films. Like films that are like made for adults, not right. like pornographic films. But like yeah. when that when he was a kid, it was like you know there were movies that were made for kids, but there were a lot of movies that were like you know aimed at a more grown up audience, and those were like successful films and like they were widely distributed and and everything. Nowadays, it's really just like everything is your everything's aimed at that PG-13 rating. Everything is, you know, like 90% of the movies that come out are even when they're rated R are still these like sort of big budget blockbuster movies. None of them have like the the kind of I don't know mentality or the um the um sensibilities of those older kind of movies i mean they exist you know they're out there they're just not widely distributed and when they are they kind of just like sink under the radar and kind of you know yeah then people who actively seek out films or seek out knowledge of films they'll know about those movies and they'll watch them but like the public at large has no idea that that's going on. Yeah. And, and like, what's weird now is, I would say it's easier now than it ever was before to make a film and have people watch it. It's yeah. still not the easiest thing in the world, but as far as like, <laughs> but it's easier. We ha- we, yeah. You yeah. just go out, you shoot it with like, with your phone mm-hmm. and put it on YouTube yeah, I mean, somebody might see it. You look at something like the Blair Witch Project, which we talked about a few weeks ago, yeah. where it's like you literally like that was shot on VHS for God's sakes. Yeah, I mean, like you literally like don't need. But even then, they had to. They got. Um, I want to say Lionsgate or Artisan. Somebody they got somebody though to, to distribute, distribute it. Yeah, you don't even need that now. And they with, also they transferred it to film. They had to pay for that. Right, and I mean with things like um, services like Netflix where you can have your independent film distributed through them and you don't have to go through any other distributor. And that is an outlet where people can go and find your movie. And you can even make DVDs. You can just put something on a DVD with your computer Mm -hmm. and you just go to the mall and hand it out to people. But I mean, like, and that kind of stuff happens it's just like how many of those things have made any how many of the like films that have been produced that way have made any kind of like have achieved any kind of real um wide 
viewing or had any kind of real impact on or have been good or i mean i think sure the problem there with are good ones it's just like getting people to sit down and watch your movie you know it's easy when it's like you know we've got thor and you know we show the trailer and it's on tv and it's everywhere yeah. and it's like and that's the only movie that's playing on the at the you know at the movie theater but when it's like when you're asked to like buy something or even even just like netflix you know if it's just there on netflix you don't even have to pay for it like you're paying for the service netflix but if it's just right. there on your streaming provider like you already have that it's still like you know oh this movie's you know, like it's an hour and a half like and i don't know anything about it like aside from this poster and what the description is getting people to actually watch your movie without a big sort of media push is hard yeah. It's hard enough get it like, and I'm guilty of it. You know, I mean, like if I see a video in my Facebook feed, if someone's like post a video, I'm like, oh, how long is this? And it's like ten minutes. I'm like, eh, maybe I won't watch this <laughs> because yeah. it's too long. <laughs> but if I see a video that's like, oh, it's two minutes long, like I can watch that. But even that, I feel sometimes is like it's too long. <laughs> I've definitely Which is made, horrible, but I mean... I've definitely watched videos people have posted that are like, you know, maybe three or four minutes, mm -hmm. and it's horrible, and I'm like, wow, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a little more careful next time, and I'm going to see how many minutes of my life I'm going to have to waste. <laughs> but it's funny, because like, then at the same time, like, I'll just like, you know, scroll through Facebook <laughs> for minutes on end without any kind of right. real... Yeah, I do that too. You know. And like, purpose. I've... I've posted um, full films, like full movies on Facebook before, and I'm fairly certain no one has watched them. <laughs> because, like, I know, like, most people are like, oh, it's four minutes. Yeah. And then I put up, um, I know that one of them was Hell's a Poppin', which I think is, like, 80 or 90 minutes. I'm pretty sure nobody was like, yeah, I'm going to sit here and watch that. And that's but what, it was like, just, I watched an amazing movie, and I wanted to share it with people. <laughs> I mean, that's like, the, even this podcast, like, I see, I can imagine people seeing it like, oh, there's this podcast, like, how long is it? Oh, it's an hour long, you know? I mean, podcasts are kind of different, because you can be, like, doing other things while yeah. you're listening to them. Um, which, is like, when I listen to podcasts, it's like, well, I'm at work, and, you know, I have nothing else to do, so... Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, like, um, last night I listened to the latest episode of our friend Gavin's podcast, and, like, I wasn't just sitting there listening to it, I was masturbating. <laughs> listening to the smooth sounds of <laughs> Gavin Mevious. We'll cut this. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's amazing <laughs> to think that, like, the 70s is often I've heard sort of described as like the director's era yeah. where like the director kind of became like the star of the show. Um, which even still today, like the director has kind of become maybe even more so now, like a driving factor in, you know, the, the average moviegoers uh, experience or wanting to interest in a movie is like, Oh, who directed it? Yeah. Um, you know, we know more about the, how movies are made today than ever before. Um, we know, we, we see behind the curtain with the internet now, like, everything. We know when a movie is, like, greenlit. You know, we know when, like, things are, like, oh, we're, we're thinking about adapting this. 
you know. Yeah, by the time a movie comes out, sometimes it's I'm like, like heard... did that come out like two years ago? Yeah, because you've been hearing stuff about it. Like I keep, um, somebody mentioned something about Aaron Eckhart um, fairly recently, and I said, said like, oh, I think he played Dennis Wilson in a movie a few years ago. Um, but apparently that's a movie that's been in development forever. Yeah. And like, it's apparently not out yet. I thought it had come and gone. Uh, and yeah, then it's, that, it's, Tim Burton that happens movie, to me all the time. That Tim Burton movie, Big Eyes. I haven't heard of that. I guess that's, I, it was, it's about some artist who draws people with big eyes a lot. And he did a movie about, or he's do, I don't even know if he filmed it yet, but I heard about it like two or three years ago. And I assumed, like, oh, I missed that one. I'd heard about, like, Dark Shadows and Frankenweenie, but somehow I missed that one. But apparently it's not even out yet. Yeah, because, I mean, like, nowadays movies are all about, like, building hype. Yeah. Just, like, you got to build that hype. You got to build the hype because you got to get, like, everybody to go to this thing. And so a movie with, like, no hype, like, just is... Nobody's going to go. It's crazy. But, I mean, what I was going to say is, like, I mean... It even like despite the fact that like directors today are kind of like you know people know more directors and more about like who directed a movie i think probably more now than any than any time before yeah but it, during the 70s like it's it's talked about as being sort of like the director's era because they were kind of like given they had more free reign to do what they wanted to do right like make films that they wanted to make so even though like today like there are a lot more famous directors like who are famous like of the time like right now they're not necessarily making films that like they really want to make or are passionate about like they're like you know I'm adapting this or I'm remaking this and uh you know I look at someone like um like JJ Abrams for instance like he uh it's kind of like you have to make and it's always been this way I guess where you make films for the studio and then like you're kind of given like you know the film the film of your choice that you can sort of do like your right. pet project um but I mean he's he's you know one of the most famous directors um today him and like Christopher Nolan um and they're you know widely acclaimed by moviegoers but you know at the end of the day like they're not making films like they're not making these like sort of groundbreaking films that i'm sure that they would really want to make they're making you know batman and star trek which are already these like pre-existing sandboxes to play in i'm sure that's fun yeah. I mean, I would, if somebody offered me those things, like, I'm not saying I wouldn't turn it down. Like, I, you know, I would totally jump on that kind of thing. They don't blame them for it. But you couldn't, I mean, they have power to a degree, but when you're in charge of a franchise, yeah, it's almost like, here's the film you're making. Remember, it's just a loan. Like, you, you don't get to keep this film. Mm-hmm. You have to, like, you have to stay true to whatever the the mythology of the characters are, and you have to make sure the fans don't get upset with you too much. Yeah. But you should throw some curves so that there'll be a lot of stuff on the internet so people hear people talking about it. Mm-hmm. So make sure you cast Ben Affleck as Batman or whatever. It's just like there are no like surprises in in films these days, where it's not like you know, hey, maybe we should give you know Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda 
money to just get, go shoot this thing that they want to go make. And then, hey, and then we'll actually distribute it. Like, yeah. <laughs> give it a wide distribution and see if it works. See what they come up with, you know. And hey, it worked and people liked it. It's just, uh, it's a totally different kind of time that we're living in. And now anytime anybody does do anything that's different, that people, like, watch, they're often like, oh, they're just, you know, they're trying to be all artsy or something. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, sometimes, or, or there's also, like, a lot of, like, audiences seem very cynical lately. Like, if you try to do anything, like... Yeah, like melodrama is like a is like a bad word now. Like you can't make like a melodrama. You can't just go watch a movie and be emotionally involved in it. There always has to be some wisecracking character commenting on the action if anything gets too sappy or something like that. Like yeah. you, just, you can't just be like I don't know, you can't just be like, I wanna make this film this way, I'm just gonna go for it. You have to keep in mind like, oh, if people don't like it then I don't know. Yeah, totally. I mean, and a part of that is like, there's the internet now, which gives everybody like a voice and the voice that a lot of people tend to go with is like a, a, a cynical voice. People probably read the reviews on Amazon at the same amount or more than the reviews in the Village Voice or uh, Film Comment, sadly enough. And like, they're just, who's commenting on Amazon? Nobody. Like, it's great that we have this, like, democracy online now. Mm -hmm. Anybody can make a movie. Anybody can review a movie. But the bad thing about that is that anybody can make a movie. Anybody can review a movie. And what, the (laughs) the downside is just, like, finding those those things that are good in a sea of just endless fucking (laughs) rabble-rousing and just, like, mindless bullshit talk that just, like, doesn't mean anything. Like, if you really want to be depressed, just go read comments on YouTube. Because it's just just awful, the things that people say. And then there are people, like, not even just, like, YouTube comments or Amazon reviews and stuff like that, but people have their own websites, and they're putting reviews up, and some of them are, like, linked through IMDb when you go to external reviews, so you think, oh, this must be an actual person who knows things. Some kind of reputable source, yeah. And it's just... It's just so frustrating because <laughs> like, like going to school for a film, you end up reading a lot of like really good critics. You end up reading like Andrew Saris and like Andre Bazin and like when Truffaut was writing for Coyote Cinema and stuff like that. And like then you look on the Internet and it's just uh, it's just frustrating to even talk about. And it's not even just like opinions and stuff, but even just like they all need to go and read. Um, what is it, Strunk and White's The Elements of Style and just learn how to write English and use proper grammar and punctuation. That's also yeah, frustrating. That's seriously. Because when I see a lot of typos like that, it's just like, well, I'm not going to trust anything you say. Yeah, because you don't even know how to write. But that's a whole other thing. I don't <laughs> This podcast has been all over the place. <laughs> really. <laughs> this um, might be the one where we, we spoke the least of the film itself. Yeah. I mean, it. Uh, I've been enjoying watching these films um, from from this time period. I think they've all kind of fit together in some way, shape, or form. Yep. Um, we'll see how well our next film, our last film of the month, fits in uh, when we when we talk about it next week, The Deer Hunter. 
the epic film, The Deer Hunter. Which I have seen parts of, but not the whole thing. So I've seen a couple times, and um, I look forward to watching it again. You got it on DVD? I do. All right, so I'll probably want to borrow that from you. Yep. You can you can keep on dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, so I guess that was that was our podcast. Yeah, I guess. That's, <laughs> so we're just angry, disgruntled film goers. <laughs> like, <laughs> why can't things be like the good old days before we were even born? <laughs> <laughs> I remember the times. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there, but. Uh, I remember before I could think about what it must have been like. I remember going to Nicholas Beach and hanging out with <laughs> Steven Spielberg and Brian De Palma and complaining about everything. <laughs> we can cut all that. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for joining us for another truly exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. See you next time. Take me from this road to side.